Welcome to Sacred Intersections Podcast, where we navigate the twisty roads of harmful theology, mental health, and religious abuse. I'm Jill. I'm an ordained pastor in the Presbyterian Church USA with training in pastoral care and counseling. And I'm Paula. I'm a licensed counselor, a counseling professor, and a person of Christian faith. As we're getting started, we just wanted to say that Sacred Intersections Podcast is about respectful discussion and conversation to encourage you to think. We're not trying to make you think like us. We just want to make you think. That is our agenda. Neither one of us speaks on behalf of the Presbyterian Church USA or other organizations which we may be connected to in our professional lives, nor do we speak on behalf of all mental, mental health care professionals or practitioners, people of faith, Jesus followers, white women, Americans, or people whose favorite color is red. Red is my favorite color. And is one of the myriad of reasons why I adore you. I love, I also love red. I wonder how we figured that out about each other. I don't remember that, but I wear a lot of red. So maybe that's why. Me too. Lots of, I wear lots of red. I have lots of red in my house. People joke that I married my husband because he is a reddish complexion and is somewhat red as well. Love it. I, I did not make that same commitment, but <laughs> and anyway, Dear Rody, Sacred Intersection is a podcast that includes discussion and conversation about religion and spirituality and mental health and all those ways that they intersect. And we were already having these kinds of conversations, so we decided to record them and share them with you. So we're just glad that you're here with us along for the journey, even if you are traveling different roads or if you're driving different vehicles than we are. So Jill, we're back from spring break. Boy, that went by fast. <laughs> it did go by fast. My university did not have an official spring break this semester because of COVID. We just started a week later and man, I really missed that. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. I, I guess it's okay to clarify for our roadies. Neither one of us like went down to Florida and spring broke it up with with the hooligans that, that are down there. I think there. that is a good reason. That's a good <laughs> clarification for them. Neither one of us were the ones breaking curfew in Miami. Like we saw on the news. We just took a break from the podcast for a week. Spring or, break for the podcast meant both of us focusing on our other jobs. <laughs> yes. And for those of you listening in the future, Jill, one of the reasons Jill really needed a spring break is this is her Super Bowl season. She's been in the playoffs for a while leading up to Easter. So how you doing, Jill? <laughs> well, I always joke about uh, Lent and March madness coinciding because the term madness can sometimes <laughs> feel a little bit around the season of Lent. There's just more to do and and more things that are happening. So, so yeah, I'm not sure if I'm, if it is wise to compare myself to like a one seed in March Madness or a Cinderella team <laughs> upset or something like that. But I know that we are on the cusp of Holy Week and um, I may be sharing my, a roof living under the same roof as my spouse, but we, I joke, I will see you next week. Because <laughs> it's just, we just, it's going to yeah. be a busy, a busy little bit of a time there as we prepare to welcome Jesus into Jerusalem, have dinner with him, 
betray him, crucify him, and then celebrate his resurrection. It is, it's a busy week. It's a busy, it's a busy season. Week. All very good things. A little bit of emotional whiplash for everyone who like really sits and thinks like the journey from Maundy Thursday to Easter Sunday is a roller coaster. Yeah. Yeah. I know I have not heard much from you, so I know you've been busy and I missed you last week, but I think we needed the spring break and you're always a number one seed for us. <laughs> so, so however, you know, the Vegas bookies would rank you, I think you're number one seed for March Madness this year. We're grateful for the Holy Spirit yeah. and her leadership. And it's interesting talking about all these different directions that seems like a pretty timely topic to be talking about all these different directions that were pulled and all the ways we've not been able to maybe do some of the things we would like to do because we are talking about boundaries today. We got a good one. We are talking about boundaries. So Jill, why are we talking about boundaries today? Well, I'm going to answer your question with a question, Paula. Paula, who is a licensed mental health professional, Paula, who is a Christian and Paula, who also cares a lot about English and grammar (laughs) is no, a complete sentence. I got a little nervous. That felt like a lot of pressure behind that sentence, but (laughs) that one, I feel like I can answer that. That is something therapists like to say a lot in people who really believe in bound. I I'm so excited about this topic. Boundaries is like one of my passions. But that is a, is a sentence, yes, you will hear people say a lot. No is a complete sentence. You don't need to provide an explanation. You don't need to um, add anything to that. And, and so there's always this war between the English major in me who loves grammar and the English major in me who loves poetry because grammatically, it's not a complete, one word is not a complete sentence, <laughs> but poetically... And metaphorically, for what we're trying to tell about boundaries, yes, no is a complete sentence. It can be very hard sometimes, but but yeah, I think that's a great question for our roadies to ponder as we jump in, is no a complete sentence? Along with the question that kind of creates our intersection here, can you say no to God? Mm. So question. I think, are we going to try to answer that? I have an answer for that for myself. Oh, okay. Do you want to share it now or do you want to wait for our categories? I say no to God all the time. (laughs) All right. I want to hear more about that. That doesn't always work out well for me. And (laughs) I have this vision that sometimes when I say no to God, God is like, "Uh, uh, 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 uh." and and God, you and I will have a chat about the maniacal laughter at some point in time because not a fan, but, um, (laughs) but yes. I think you can say no to God. Okay. And I think God's going to love you anyway. I think God definitely loves us anyway. I think that's true no matter what. I'm I'm hearing and when I'm picking up on some like Jonah and Nineveh and whale vibes there, Jill. So, so we may need to hear more about that. Um, but it's interesting. Like when I think of that, I, I realized again, kind of that's, metaphorical for me in that when I say, can you say no to God? I was thinking more of, can you say no to the church, like responsibilities at church or responsibilities that people put on you and use your faith to make you feel guilty about them? I hadn't really thought about kind of that whole deep 
Jonah running away from God and just saying no, or just like, ain't going to do it kind of thing. Um, Right. Oh, there's layers for sure. I mean, here's some sarcasm in my voice, but if there are people out there who have trouble saying no to things like volunteering, I have a church where you are welcome to come, (laughs) (laughs) which is a terrible way of saying that church volunteers often get burned out real fast because they don't say no. Or because church leaders like the, like myself, who are desperate for help, will go, oh, I know somebody who won't say no. Let me assure you, I have been serving the congregation um, where I serve our congregational family for about three and a half years now. And it, it did not take long at all for people to say no to me. <laughs> and, you know, and you respect that. That's one of the things that yeah I think is important in this discussion is learning how to set boundaries for ourselves, but also having to learn how to respect it when other people set boundaries. Mm-hmm. That's there's that's definitely two sides of the same coin for us yeah. to discuss here. It makes as I hear you talk, it makes me think of my mom, who is an amazing woman and who has such a servant's heart and loves people and. I remember her saying one time she had been asked to do something at church and she was just like, I don't really want to do it. And I don't think I'm really going to be all that good at it. I don't even remember what it was. It might've been teaching a Sunday school class or something like that. And I remember saying, well, why are you going to do it? And she said, well, you don't say no when God asks you to do something or when the church asks you to do something. And, and that really stuck with me. And I, and I think it speaks a lot to my mom's just servant heart and wanting to do what she's been called to do. And I think that she would probably have a different answer to that now. This is, mm-hmm. it's been a long time, but I remember my mom would, my, I think I've mentioned on the podcast that my dad had a heart transplant 20 years ago. And when he was waiting, it was the transplant process was pretty different than it is now. He was in the hospital four hours away from our home for eight and a half months waiting. He had to be in the hospital. And so my mom basically lived in the hospital with him, but then would go home almost every weekend to just check on the house and do laundry and catch up and stuff like that. And she would teach Sunday school. So for eight and a half months, she was taking care of my dad and then going home and teaching Sunday school. And, you know, she would probably say it was grounding for her and she liked it, but I just always think about, yeah, if, when we can say no and how we might help other people to say no when they need to. So mom, if you're listening, I love you. And I want to help you to enjoy your life with things that (laughs) are meaningful for you. So there's so many layers that you have. You have our individual relationships that we have with one another and the ways in which we hold our boundaries and our own mental health. And then you have the relationship that we have with our church, which is an entity of God, is meant to represent God, but is made up of humans. So sometimes when you're saying no to the church, you're not necessarily saying no to God. You know, the answer could be maybe not no. The answer could be not right now, which is a U-turn for me. And I would love to, you know, dig into that a little bit later. But, but then there's like the big ultimate can, as you asked at the beginning of the podcast, can you say no to God, which could be a big life altering thing. Like God saying, Jonah, go to Nineveh and Jonah saying, no, I'm not going to uproot my whole entire life. Or good example of mine, 
pre-COVID, when we were allowed to go into nursing homes, I remember being in a facility and cleaning out the room and the space of a church member who had died Mm -hmm. and left Uh a number of things to the church. And so I'm with the family and providing what I think is important pastoral care. And in the process of walking back and forth from the room, someone else in the nursing home who I did not know, an elderly person needed someone to sit with them. They did not want to be alone. They did not want to be by themselves or they needed someone to talk to. Mm. And I could feel God saying, maybe you need to sit and talk with this person. Maybe you need to, maybe you need to pay attention to this. You know, here's, here's the, here's the orphan and the widow that I'm asking you to care for. Pay attention to this. And in my mind, I'm like, listen, Jesus, I'm already trying to care for the other widow who's in the nursing home room. Like sometimes it's a little thing. Like, am I going to spend an extra five minutes with this person or am I going to move on? So like, saying no and managing our time and listening for the Holy spirit, like all of, there's so many layers and it's not a life altering uh, saying no to God. One time means, okay, that's it. We're done cutting you out. God doesn't do that. Yeah. And hearing you talk about those layers, like the layers of church, especially, I think is one of the things that we talk a lot about here on the podcast, parceling out what's the people part this potentially doing harm in the name of God and what's actually God's voice, which is often different from that peopley part that you talk about, but still we peopley part try to do the best we can. Sure. So yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And this is, you know, this is interesting from just this perspective scripturally. And I guess we'll get more into this as we get into our religions road and our mental health road. You know, I, this is a class that I teach a lot. This is a topic I talk about with a lot of clients. This is a topic that I train my counseling students to work on with clients about relation, setting boundaries in relationships, setting boundaries with your time. Then there's that emotional boundaries, like what we take on the emotional work that we're doing for people or how we're trying to protect people's emotions when it might not be our job to take on that emotional burden. Um, And so there's a very kind of secular place that this happens in the mental health field. But then there is this religious component. I mean, it is scriptural to put other people's needs ahead of your own. Yes. Yes. I hear that. (laughs) I hear that. And we, I've used this analogy on the podcast before we got to do that airplane mentality of if you're constantly putting others other people's needs before your own, you can't pour from an empty vessel. Right. If if you don't put your oxygen mask on first and you're dead and unable to breathe so you can put the oxygen mask on the person next to you to help them, to serve them, it's not doing anyone any good. So we get into this idea of over-functioning of when you're doing too much and I think anyone that has any um, has ever worked with an overfunctioner or in any kind of a human resources capacity, or who has been an overfunctioner, right? So overfunctioning, you know, could be someone who doesn't have great boundaries, but it makes it really, really hard for the next person 
Because if you've overfunctioned and you've done more than you needed to, then to use a human resources example, everyone gets used to that level of product or output or whatever you want to say. So when someone else comes in and says, you're only paying me for 20 20 hours, so I'm only going to work for 20 hours, and this is what I have the capacity to put out in 20 hours, everyone's disappointed because the person before you, even though they were only paid for 20 hours, worked 40 or more and got, you know, did more. So there's, there's dangers in that. Yeah, for sure. And sometimes a good boundary is taking care of someone else, because if you don't do something, it leaves the opportunity for someone else to do it. Hmm. One of my greatest lessons that my mom taught me is that we have to set a boundary of allowing other people to make their own decisions. When uh, my partner and I got engaged, we were living in Michigan and I grew up outside of New York city and was going to get married. We were, our wedding was going to be outside of New York city. And we made the decision of, we're going to have a small wedding. It's going to be not a big deal. We want to focus more on the marriage. It's, you know, let's not make a huge, big thing. Plus, no one will come from Michigan all the way to New Jersey. And I remember my mom saying, why are you making that decision for everyone? What if people do want to come? What if people do want to make the decision? And that goes the same way with when a session is trying to make a session is like the decision making body, a group of elders in the Presbyterian church, the leaders of the church. If you say, well, what about this person? Would they be willing to do this? If someone says, oh, no, they're too busy. You've just made the decision for that person. Mm -hmm. You haven't given them the opportunity to make the decision themselves, which is a means of power, which is a means of control. But that's a boundary is letting people make their own decisions and holding them accountable to saying yes or no. Because there's another scripture that says, let their yes be their yes and their no be their no. Mm -hmm. And there's another scripture that says, love your neighbor as you love yourself, and people really miss that last part. Mm, preach it. That, as you love yourself. So, and that's the second greatest commandment. So I think that that speaks, you know, Jesus's words speaks directly to those both being important. Yeah. So I think, you know, as we get, as we dig into this a little deeper, sometimes people say I'm working on setting boundaries and that pendulum spring swings to the complete other side where it's just a no all the time, you know, no matter what, everything's a no. And that might be where someone needs to get in order to be able to have balance and, and be able to be in community with other people while also loving themselves as they love their neighbor. Sometimes flipping that around can be really important there as well. Yeah. Well, since we've quoted a little bit of scripture, what would you think if we just kind of dig in a little deeper on this religion road? Yeah, let's do it. There are some other, you've, you've already mentioned the idea of love the Lord. So if we break down the greatest commandment, love the Lord, your God with all of your heart and soul and might or heart and soul and mind, depending on which place in scripture you are looking and love your neighbor as yourself. So if we break it down, love the Lord, your God, I'm sure any parent out there will tell you that there are ways in which saying no is a form of love Mm. and setting boundaries is a form of love. So just we'll leave that there. And then just like you just said, the loving your neighbor as yourself, that we have to take care of ourselves and that you can't pour from an empty vessel. 
The other thing that I think about is there are so many uh, ways in which scripture paints a picture for us of how to set good boundaries in the Torah, in the law of the Hebrew Bible or the Old Testament that some call it. The idea of Sabbath, one of the Ten Commandments, keep the Sabbath day and make it holy. Like God had an expectation that there was going to be a day where you said no to a bunch of other things, that you rested, that you kept that space sacred. That's a boundary. Yeah. Some might call it scheduling. Some might call it prioritizing, but it's a it's a form of a boundary, having that kind yeah. of a well, Sabbath. There's so many examples of that that we've talked about before, but Jesus going out into the wilderness, Jesus going by himself to pray, even Jesus going into the bottom of the boat to take a nap, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, just yeah. saying, I'm, I'm going to take this time and right. y'all can deal. You'll be okay. Yeah. Those of us that are introverts love it when Jesus <laughs> does that because it's, things get a little too people for Jesus and Jesus is like, hold up. I need some time. I'm going to go off in the boat by myself. I'm going to go down and take a nap. Like we love the fact that Jesus, you know, Jesus is an extrovert a lot in the gospel. <laughs> and there are a few little introvert moments that we celebrate with Jesus. <laughs> he speaks to everyone. Preach. He said. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing that I love is, um, do you remember, did you, in Sunday school, did you learn the song about the fruits of the spirit? I don't think I learned a song about it. I've definitely studied the fruits of the spirit. Are you going to sing for us? There's like, a, <laughs> I will not subject you all to that. Oh, come there on. Is like a little, like the fruits of the spirit are gentleness, peace, patience, kindness, and self-control. And I'm, and the very last fruit of the spirit is self-control. So when you sang that, Jill, you really emphasize self-control. Does the song emphasize it? Yes, it's the last one. It's this like, and self-control is like the way that's how the ditty ends. That's so interesting that you're that. So I love the fruits of the spirit. I used to, to have it at my work and I would look at it before I met with every client, like review who, like what I wanted to be and the qualities I wanted to try to exhibit. But, um, but as I was researching for this episode, I, I'm going to have to track down what article I found it in to give proper credit. This idea of, it was probably the boundaries book because, you know, the, we'll, we'll talk a lot about the boundaries book. We'll go ahead and give that billboard awesome book called Boundaries by Henry Cloud and John Townsend. Cloud and Townsend's Boundary. It's like a textbook. Yes, it is the book I have recommended throughout my counseling career to the most people. And it is the one book that clients seem to actually read and come back and say, oh my gosh, that changed my life kind mm-hmm. of thing. And it's an easy read. The, the subheading, the subtitle of it is when to say yes, when to say no, to take control of your life. And it's written from a spiritual perspective as well. So it definitely has this angle. And if you're having particular problems with any particular person in your life. It has offshoots of pretty much any relationship you can think of. So there's boundaries with teenagers and boundaries with children and boundaries of marriage and boundaries with aliens. No, that one's not there, but there's a lot of them. (laughs) Do you remember the chicken soup for the soul books? How there was like like the chicken chicken soup for the soul for Detroit Lions football fans. Like there is literally a cloud and Townsend boundaries book 
for anything you could possibly imagine. There's even, as I was researching, I don't know if you found this, Jill, there's, they have a website and you can take a quiz to see what kind of boundaries you have. <laughs> I love and that. I am proud to say I score very high <laughs> on yes. the boundaries, but I spent a lot of time going, I don't like any of these answers, but this is the one I'd be most likely. But so we'll put that in the show notes too. So we'll link the boundaries quiz and the boundaries book and all of that. But, Townsend's um, but I think okay. it was probably the if not, I will link the source to this, but that was talking about people who push your boundaries. So, so I think we're probably speaking in this podcast to both people who maybe have trouble setting boundaries with people, both time boundaries, emotional boundaries, relationship boundaries, and people who push those boundaries and the people who push those boundaries, practicing other control instead of self-control. So like Mm -hmm. this, this contrast between them trying to control you. So I love that idea of other control versus self-control. When you set a boundary, you practice self-control and you're asking someone else to practice self-control instead of other control. Yeah. And it's because, because Jesus gives us such a servant leadership mentality, there is this, this pull to constantly think of, I have to put everybody else before myself. I have to put my needs last. The last shall be first. And it wouldn't be a sacred intersections podcast if I didn't mention proof texting, um, (laughs) the ways in which we take scripture out of context because we miss the self-control part and the ways in which there are times when we do need to focus on ourselves, whether it's self-awareness or self-control and that boundaries are a huge blessing and a gift from God. So that like fruit of the spirit, self-control is, is a fruit of the spirit boundaries can help you practice that. And they can also be a way of you serving others and helping others practice that by not allowing them to other control you. And I think the other one, you were raised this when we were going over show notes together before we started recording, the idea of um, boundaries as we think about our faith and our salvation. You know, when we consider eternal life, is that something that is earned by the grace of God? which is sort of an oxymoron to say, because grace is not earned. It's God's unmerited favor. So (laughs) is our salvation given to us as a blessing from God or is it works-based? So your faith without works is dead. And there are representations of both of those in scripture. So it's a constant battle of thinking like things, cheap grace, the concept where you say, well, I'm already saved so I can do whatever I want which cheapens the idea that out of God's great love for us, God saves us and delivers us and protects us and loves us. So this idea of I can't set boundaries, I can't say no to the church, like your sweet mom, I can't say no to the church because I can't say no to God. Yeah. Yeah. That, that really takes me back to my Baptist roots where there was a lot of preaching about like, don't, don't follow a works-based faith that it's not your works that'll get you there. It is just, it's just the sacrifice of Jesus that gets you there. And, and so, and and yet still so many churches twist as we talk about twist this idea of what you need to do. And, And even though they might not say it explicitly, there's this idea of if you're going to be a 
air quotes, good Christian, then you need to say yes to everything and you can't have boundaries and you need to work yourself into the ground for the church, which is really anti grace theology of, um, you know, God loves you no matter what. And Jesus died for you. Even if you don't teach that Sunday school class or sing in that choir every week or Mm -hmm. do everything you are asked to do at church. Yeah. Yeah. So let's, let's, uh, take a pleasure cruise on the mental health road for a little while. Talk to us about what you're seeing. Yeah. This is the kind of thing where, you know, imagine that these really intersect a lot because, you know, as we mentioned, this is a, this is something that happens across the board. This is certainly not pushing boundaries, asking people to do more than maybe their fair share or, um, asking people to take on the burden of someone else's feelings or someone else's, you know, happiness is something that happens across the board, certainly not exclusive to churches, but when you add that spiritual component to it, again, it gets hyped up. So, you know, people who have trouble setting boundaries are often people we might label people pleasers, you know, people who really are afraid to let someone down who really um, are get a lot of anxiety by feeling like someone's upset with them or have a lot of anxiety by feeling like maybe they didn't do something right or they didn't do enough. This fear of upsetting others and really forcing them to, it's hard to see how if it's someone who's being boundaries are being pushed all the time, logically we might think, well, that's not someone who's, who's worrying about you. So why are you worrying about them so much? But, you know, bullies are very good at figuring out who they can push Mm -hmm. and predators are very good at figuring out who they can take advantage of and where they see quote unquote weakness. So this often comes from just a really earnest and someone wanting to just do good things that then gets amplified. So we see this, this people pleasing. And sometimes that might come from our self-worth being based in, what other people think of us. And so there's a lot of unlearning of your self-worth not coming from the approval of other people, especially those of us who I believe are believers. You know, my self-worth comes from being a child of God, period, the end. Um, I'd rather people like me than not like me. I'd rather people approve of me than not approve of me. It doesn't feel good when I disappoint someone or when someone really needs something for me and I'm not able to do it for whatever reason. But that's not, that doesn't change my value. (laughs) And so, so this idea that we're worthy based on what we do versus who we are similar to that religion road of the workspace faith there. I love the quote, if someone's mad at you because you set boundaries, that really emphasizes you did the right thing by setting a boundary. Yes. Yes. That is a good way to sort of, you know, the, the harder someone tests your boundaries, the more important you realize that they are. Yeah. And that, again, if you're not used to setting boundaries, oh, that doesn't feel good in the beginning when someone's mad at you. Yeah. But I promise it gets easier. I promise they get less mad after they realize you really mean it and you get, you feel, are able to say no easier and you feel stronger in doing that. There are a number of Enneagram, a number of numbers on the Enneagram who struggle with boundaries. Enneagram twos, Enneagram sixes. Enneagram nines. Which one Just am I? I told you I took it and I don't even remember what I am. I am a two. 
Was I a two, two? I, th- I believe you were. Okay. I think we were the same number. Obviously I'm not super invested in the Enneagram. Jill is really knowledgeable. I about love me. the Enneagram. <laughs> and, and you know, it's, if you like the Myers-Briggs is another one too. And you, one of the ways you can tell your Myers-Briggs is there's a thing we'll put in the show notes about, you can tell what your Myers-Briggs is based on what you would describe as your personal hell. <laughs> and one of the, one of the personal hells that's described is disappointing everyone and letting everyone else down. Ah, um, yeah. And then that's someone so, who's going to have a lot of trouble with boundaries. Right. Right. Yeah. Just want to want to be the people pleasers that want to make everyone happy that want everyone to be at the Enneagram nine is a peacemaker wants everyone to be on the same plane. And that, that was another quality. Yeah. Of people who have maybe struggled to set boundaries is this very, this just really conflict averse personality. They really would rather sacrifice and deal with all of this stuff and take all this burden on themselves rather than have to deal with conflict. And so that might keep an external piece, but that's really creating a turning internally, usually, because if you do it long enough, you start to build resentment, Mm. you start to do more than probably your fair share that might flip to a martyr mentality or a victim mentality of nobody ever helps me. I'm the only one who works. Woe is me. I'm the only one who cares about this stuff. And that's not a good place to be um, individually or in a system. You look like you were going to say something. Did you want to? Well, I, it, it is the, the, the martyr syndrome has that intersection directly to that workspace. Mm. You know, oh, well, I'll just, um, the phrase that I've heard used is stars. It's, it's going to be a star in my crown. I'm just putting mm. stars in my crown. And it's sort of said a little bit tongue in cheek, like the more work that you do, the more stars that are going in the golden crown that you're going to get to wear when you're up in heaven with Jesus and the Lord and the creator and all of that, those things. And I cringe now when I hear that, because it's this idea that we can earn it. Yeah. You don't need stars in your crown. If you believe that Jesus died for you, (laughs) So it, it, but, and yet that's terminology that, I mean, there's a whole hymn called that, that we sing that interesting, interesting. So it makes me think of something I actually had down in the roadblock section, but may work here is this idea of how, how boundaries can be manipulated, especially when we add that sacred or that spiritual element. If someone is telling you, God told me (laughs) that you're supposed to do this. So that someone feeling like they know your calling better than someone better than, you know, your own calling, which certainly I believe there are people who've spoken to me and helped me understand my calling or my spiritual gifts or something I could do. But we just, you know, with power comes great responsibility. And we've Mm -hmm. talked on this podcast a lot, how that spiritual element contains a great deal of power and it can be manipulated. Yeah. And that doesn't mean that everything we do has to be our calling. There's stuff that just needs to get done. There's stuff at a church that needs to be done. Like our church is asking almost every week for someone to change the sign, (laughs) age, the daggone sign. And I don't know many people who that's their calling in life to go take these little vinyl letters and change the sign every week. 
but it needs to be done. It's, it's something that needs to happen. So no, I don't think, you know, we don't have to have a boundary of that's not my calling. There's some, there is some things that needs to be done, but we, we need to be able to discern between when that's being manipulative and when that's um, something that really we want to say yes to. Yeah. Well, and you know, I think we're, we're dipping into a number of things, both a power and control of saying, you know, God told me to tell you, this is your calling. Like we, let's talk about triangulation. Like mm-hmm. triangulation is when someone speaks for someone else to a third party, creating thus the triangle, which mm-hmm. in mental That's health, we, an explanation we, of that, Jill, I'm we, impressed. Well, thank you. Um, it's bad. It's, In general, triangulation is not good because it avoids confrontation and uh, there's a whole lot of other things. And I think it's fascinating if we try and think about the concept of triangulation with God because that is fascinating the ways in which we triangulate God. But so there's a power and control thing. And then for me, it gets into a little bit of a road rage because how dare we try and say who speaks for God and how God speaks. There have been people who have tried to say that God cannot speak through certain classes of people, say women, say people who are part of the LGBTQIA plus community, say both upcoming podcasts. Yeah. Like, how dare we try? I mean, clearly I have, we're, I'm raging on the road. Like, (laughs) God is going to speak to whomever God wants, whomever God wants to use, whatever language God intends. And to try and manipulate someone, like it is almost as bad as the, well, if you loved me, you would do this. Mm. Like, mm -mm. Yeah. But there's such power. There's such power in God wants you to do this. There's such power in God told me that God wants you to do this. Yeah. And if God wanted you to do it, God would tell you God's self. Yeah. And I, I will, I will just, I want to be clear that I do sometimes think that comes with other people, but that's not through a manipulative kind of thing. That's not through a God told me to do that. That's a person who might be presenting something to you or helping you understand your strengths or helping you think through things and having discernment with your best interests at heart sure. rather than an agenda of power and control. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And we're, I think it's important to say that we're not just, to, we've talked a little bit about the emotional burden of saying no and disappointing and letting people down. And we've talked about saying no to like time commitments and physical things, but there's all, there's, there's more than that. It's saying no to a spiritual relationship and, and having a boundary around your spiritual relationship and how you make time for that and how you make space for that. Yeah, because saying no to things creates space for you to say yes to things. Preach. And it makes your yes mean something when you're able to be intentional about what are the things I want in my life? What are the burdens I'm willing to take on and carry? What's the space that I need for spiritual pursuits or career pursuits or relationship pursuits or any of those pursuits? But it makes that yes meaningful when you're able to say no. Yes. Exactly. There's to throw out another billboard a couple of years ago. I'm not exactly sure the year that it was published, but um, the producer and TV writer Shonda Rhimes, who does Grey's Anatomy and Scandal and a bunch of other 
TV shows. She's fabulous. She is fabulous. She wrote a book called The Year of Yes. And I remember the book coming out. And like you, I'm passionate about boundaries and appreciate people having good boundaries. And I was like, no, this is not going to be good. Now everybody's going to be walking around saying yes to everything. And nobody's going to take good care of themselves. Just from the title. And (laughs) like on the back cover of the book, she talks about how she's writing this book because someone in her family said, you never say yes to anything. And so she made this decision. I'm going to spend a year and I'm going to say yes to everything. And, and that was, I'm, I will confess, I have not read the entirety of the book, but what I appreciate is that when you go in between the covers and look at what she has written, she talks about exactly what you were just saying, that when you have good boundaries, that your no's can mean more and your yeses can mean more as well. Yeah. And you're not building up that resentment of not having time for the yeses Mm. because you're filling it with things that you feel like you should be doing. Like, um, I think I've said on here before, you know, one of my favorite quotes and that resonates with clients so often is that every should could be a could. And Mm. so when we feel like we should do something, if we flip that to a could that provides a choice and that means we could say yes, or we could say no, I could change the sign on the church this week (laughs) rather than I should. It makes it, it just helps us feel it's actually more empowering and gives us a sense of control because another kind of, you know, part of the mental health road is that oftentimes, sometimes people have a lack of boundaries because of control issues, because they don't trust other people to do things Mm. because they think they're the only one who can do it right. Or, or it becomes this like, it's easier for me just to do it myself than to teach you how to do it. And that might be true one time, but sometimes we have to take a little time on the front end in order to long-term speaking, help people understand how if we teach someone to take a little extra time on the front end, that helps us on the back end. But there certainly can be that control issue of I'm the only one who can do it. And I don't trust anyone else to do it or no one's going to do it exactly the way I do it. Yeah. Well, and if we look at it from a relationship perspective, it's a trust issue of, do I trust that someone holding their boundaries is not a rejection of me and who I am, or someone saying no to me, is not a rejection of me and who I am. It's just, and I will use an example from my own life, which almost every congregation I have ever served will know, I try as hard as I can to take a technology Sabbath about weekly. So when you get an email from me, there's a little line on the bottom of the email that says, I do not read or respond to emails on Fridays. And I don't read my text messages on Fridays. If it is an emergency, I tell people to call me. So it's not like if somebody like were to die on a Friday that I would just not pay attention to them. But there are times when I've had parishioners who don't hear from me and get up, get think, think that I have rejected them. And it's, Mm -hmm. I'm not rejecting anybody. I'm just trying to hold a boundary of, I need a day where I'm not checking my text messages. And that's not church text messages. That's not friend text messages. That's not family text messages. That's just, I'm going to go for a day without getting text messages. And the trust that I still love you. I'm, I'm still in relationship with you. I'm still your person, your friend, your pastor, whatever relationship that we have. But 
trust that relationship in the same way, you know, someone doesn't trust that anyone else can do it better and they have to do it themselves. When someone has a relationship boundary, trust that there is still that relationship and that care and that mutuality. They're just setting a boundary for themselves. Yeah. Yeah. I want to come back to the pastor part because pastors definitely get their boundaries pushed, I think probably more than maybe any other profession out there. So I want to come back to that. <laughs> but what you're saying, I don't want also don't want to lose what you're saying. So I want to come back to that. But I also, you know, what you were saying about feeling rejected and feeling rejected when someone sets a boundary, or also when we say no to someone that someone else may then reject us. And that feels really personal because we said no to them. And so some of this involves, again, not taking on that emotional burden of somebody else's, what they're, how they're, what they're choosing to think, you know, your own self and why you said no. And there certainly may be some grief when we lose relationships because we set boundaries. Some people don't like it when we set boundaries. Some people are very used to it, to getting from, us what they're used to getting from us. And so they very much make that you may lose that relationship. And it's usually, I would say worth it. If that's someone who's not willing to be in a relationship with you anymore, because you set a boundary with them. It also, I'm not sure exactly where this fits in, but I just had made a note of it because I didn't want to forget to say, I just, we could probably do a whole podcast on parents relationships with their kids and how often Parents are sometimes fearful of setting boundaries because they'd rather be their kids' friends than be their kids' parents and how just how damaging that can be to kids. You know, what I often say is your kids are going to have lots of friends. You are the one special person that gets to be their mom or their dad or their parent in whatever way you're their parent. And that's a really unique honor. And you don't want to be their friend. They have lots of friends. <laughs> Let their friends be their friends. And saying no and setting boundaries with them is often a very loving thing to do. Yeah. Well, that's so I, I, that's a great thing. I think in, in jumping off of your springboard and talking about parents and children, it's boundaries around the role that you play and mm-hmm. having the self-awareness of what role you are, you are in and the self-control to maintain that particular role. So are, you know, what hat are you wearing sometimes? You know, we'll, we'll say like, okay, I'm wearing my pastor hat. Okay. I'm wearing my, I'm wearing, I know somebody who spent a lot of time working in um, healthcare regulation for like HIPAA and how um, information is shared. And they would regularly, we would get into talking about something and someone would share details about you know, sharing a prayer request or something. And this person would say, all right, I'm putting my HIPAA hat on. We're really not supposed to be sharing that kind of intimate information and just recognizing your role and having a boundary of this is the role that I'm in. We've talked before about counselors can, can easily say, I'm not your friend. Like as much as we joke about the phrase, everyone needs a paid friend, which I still (laughs) love. It's important for a counselor to know their role and that they're not going to be friends with the people who they are right. counseling. When when religious leaders who are also preachers are offering counseling and caregiving to someone 
and that person is sharing very intimate and detailed information, sometimes it makes it really hard for them to come sit in the pew and listen to that religious leader because they assume every example is being directed to them or they're ashamed of what they've shared or they just feel like they they have a vulnerability hangover from sharing too much. And yeah. so they're, you know, our preacher role, pastor caregiver role, counselor role, there's there's different roles to play and the boundaries around that. So same thing with parenting, I would imagine. Parent, are you the role of a parent, the role of a friend? And, you know, kids, especially just developmentally, again, going back to kind of my, my mental health role, they're just developmentally need, they kids feel more secure when they know the expectations, when they know what the boundaries are, when they know where the line is that they can't cross and when they're pushed back over that line. It may not feel like it when they're kicking and screaming and throwing a tantrum in the grocery store. Mm -hmm. You know, I know that's not fun, but that's also something that ultimately creates an ability in them later to be able to set boundaries and to be able to understand why some lines are important and being able to say, and so there's a lot of comfort in knowing what to expect and what you should be able to do in a certain situation and what you shouldn't be able to do in a certain situation. Um, But going back to the pastor role, Jill, I, I mean, I've, I really appreciate that you are very intentional about taking a Sabbath for yourself, even maybe a Friday Sabbath on that, because pastors are probably the role where I see more than anything, just, how pastors are expected to sacrifice everything. It's very rare that a pastor is paid very much money. They're supposed to give up everything, always be available. And, you know, and some of that is, is why some people get into being a pastor and answer that call. But that doesn't mean that the church should expect an all consuming 24 hour availability from pastors. And yet we do, there's something about that role that sometimes makes us feel like we're entitled to run our pastors into the ground. Well, I think that you can look at any position, any kind of a a vocation, let's use that word or a job where there's a high turnover rate statistically Mm -hmm. and people who just can't maintain that level of things. So I imagine that there, I, I, the one that pops into my mind is social workers. Yeah. Um, that there's a high turnover rate of social workers. Cause there's a lot of emotion, emotional. I know the phrase emotional labor. There's a lot of strings with that phrase right now, but there's a lot of emotional labor around social work and yeah. the way, the expectation and the, the, the longer hours and things like that. I will say there are, you know, people joke, people talk about a 40 hour work week and the beauty of a 40 hour work week. I (laughs) don't exist in your world. (laughs) I don't know pastors or social workers who have 40 hour work weeks. I would love a 40 hour work week, but it is, there's, I think when we get into that spiritual component where our spiritual and emotional well-being is those boundaries and those relationships can get enmeshed. And so there's the expectation of, I am always supposed to be doing the emotional work and the spiritual work. And my spiritual leader should be accessible to me. And sometimes that has to do with an inappropriate way that pastors and religious leaders are put on a pedestal. Hmm. Um, 
in in my tradition in our tradition it's different than a catholic or an orthodox perspective where there is a hierarchy where there is a belief that the priest is literally closer to god than the lay people or than the not clergy people and that's not something that we believe in in our tradition we talk about something called the priesthood of all believers and the ways in which we all have the same access to God. And so Mm -hmm. whether that's a complicated notion from before, I would say there's probably gender associations with that and the different expectations that are set upon different gender expressions and what's expected, the ways in which women have to work certain, a certain amount harder than than men do to earn the same amount of money to get the same amount of stature. But there is it, it boundaries are really, really essential. I am very strict about boundaries. And as someone who works with a staff, um, I would hope that if you spoke to any of the staff at our church, they would tell you that I am a little bit of a boundary queen, <laughs> not just myself, but with but them with their boundaries as well and making sure that they are not working more than they should and that they are taking good care of themselves because it's in their best interest and it's in my best interest as a religious leader for them to take good care of themselves and have good boundaries. You know, it's interesting when I heard you say how in evocation with high turnover and why, why in evocation that has high burnout, there's often poor boundaries or boundaries not being respected maybe. And my mind immediately went to the phrase that more often than not, people don't leave jobs. People leave bosses, Mm. you know, that, that people leave their leader. I, you know, one of the jobs that I had that when I worked in the emergency room, when I was doing mental health assessments in the emergency room, I mean, that's a high stress, high crisis job, but my boss was amazing and knew that she had my back. And I I would probably still be there now, you know, maybe 20 years later, if she were still there. And so if she had continued to be my boss, but then, so pastors, bosses are often their congregations. So what does that say about our congregation? <laughs> what are we doing to pastors? We need to ask ourselves, dear roadies, what are we doing to pastors to create this turnover? And, you know, so, so I, and I, but I think it's, you know, it's, as everything else is, it's this thing that feeds on itself. Like some people are drawn to this profession. Some people are drawn to the counseling profession because of this. People are drawn to to, um, pastoral work because they like to be needed because Mm. they want to be that person who's available and who people depend on. And so that's why a master's degree in counseling, you will spend a lot of time working on yourself and making sure that that is not something you're taking into your work with your clients. And we've talked about how different aspects of denominations have different levels of work that people are doing around that. Mm-hmm. Um, and why, yeah. why we see churches where pastors are happy to work themselves into the ground. And when people like you try to set boundaries, how people don't always respond well to that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's, ba- I think in any vocation, it's a balancing act, you know, and I, uh, I had a professor in graduate school and I, in the Presbyterian tradition, and obviously I'm biased, can't give an objective view, but (laughs) similar to the counseling profession in the Presbyterian denomination, we do have to do a lot of work on ourselves so that there is that understanding of, okay, 
am I projecting some of my issues on my congregation or on this person that I'm helping or on this particular? So there, there needs to be that level of, of self-awareness. But I had a professor in grad school. She was my pastoral care professor. And uh, we read Cloud and Townsend's Boundaries. <laughs> Yay. Intro to pastoral care. And she was like serious about boundaries, like drill sergeant serious about boundaries. Very, very strict. And I will say it took me a little bit of realizing that there are times when you're bound, you have to have boundaries about your boundaries. Like Mm. (laughs) we can go down the rabbit hole of boundaries about boundaries (laughs) and that there are times when there are exceptions and that when we do have bad boundaries, that doesn't mean that we're bad people and that when we let our guard down or when we say no and we lose our relationship, God still loves us and we're still good people. And there, you know, like there's not a perfection in this and it's help. It was helpful for me to realize that yes, boundaries are important. And sometimes we will mess up with our boundaries and sometimes we need to mess up with our boundaries. Sometimes having a soft boundary is a great idea and a great thing. You know, I, I, I mentioned that I take Fridays to try and have a Sabbath. We are a a very short time away from Good Friday. I can promise you all I will be working on Good Friday. (laughs) Like kind of an important day in the church. Yep. So to quote my song lyric that I think I've quoted in other episodes, this idea of like so many other things is to hold on loosely, but don't let go. Um, You know, this, this idea that you can, that, that you can have boundaries to the extreme where that becomes harmful and where that's really unhealthy and where you're, you know, losing the person. And that that's where there's potential for that rules to be more important than relationship that we've talked Mm -hmm. about that happens so often in religious harm. So like, you know, that example that you gave earlier of helping someone in the nursing home, but feeling pulled to maybe someone else in the nursing home. I don't know what you did in that situation and you don't need to tell us, but that you know, there are times when we do need to abandon whatever we had in mind to do and that we need to pay attention to what maybe God has placed in front of us. Mm-hmm. So there, there's something to having some compassion. Mm-hmm. And Absolutely. Absolutely. Don't let your compassion be something that's always taken advantage of. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, roadies, if you can hear my dogs barking. <laughs> I'm not sure what set them off this time. <laughs> I promise there's a door between us. I've set boundaries with the dogs, but they're still just really wanting to be a part of this episode for whatever reason. This trivia question, instead of which episode could you hear dogs barking, it will be how many episodes could you hear? Yes, Ruiz, have you heard other episodes with dogs barking? Because there, there are other ones. Yeah, so yeah. It's raining today. They're usually quieter because there aren't people walking around the neighborhood. But um, who knows? I don't know what set them off. But anyway, that's hilarious that my our dogs are. This is this is my podcast time, doggies. You need to. I'm setting the respect boundary. the boundary. Respect the boundary. While we're talking about like respecting the boundary, I was thinking about some of the roadblocks that we have seen. And the idea of respecting boundaries compared to the idea of burnout. And if we talk about the church, volunteer burnout. Mm, Yep. Yeah. That's another thing on the mental health road. Say more about that. Yeah. Well, it's 
the ways in which it is sometimes easy for us to say, well, this person doesn't have any boundaries, so we'll let her do it or we'll let him do it. Uh, Oh, that infuriates me. That's a road rage for me. It is. And it is, it's, it is hard because there are plenty of times when we want people to be saying yes. And as you so beautifully articulated earlier, there's some times when things need to happen, when the sign message needs to be changed, when the lawn needs to be mowed, when someone need, when you need to stop what you're doing and listen to someone for five minutes. So yeah. sometimes that's not about a, you know, you don't have the angel Gabriel announcing you need to spend time with this person, but like actually just, just do it. Yeah. And it's not going to be fun and it's not going to be a beautiful vocational calling, but the Lord has need of it. Yeah. So knowing your boundaries, knowing what's really important and also not letting the boundaries become the thing that you focus on, but the meaning behind the boundaries, why you were setting boundaries so that you have time to say yes to things or for your own mental health, or so you don't get resentful or to allow someone else to step up and do a job Mm -hmm. that they haven't been doing or to prove they, you know, remember the meaning behind it, not the rule behind it. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So that's one of our roadblocks that the rule or the boundary can become the thing that we focus on rather than why it's there. I think we talked about most of the other roadblocks that I have put down already about just how church can get in the way of us setting boundaries or making us feel guilty. Well, I will say to jump back to what we started our episode with, so as not to offend your grammatical sensibilities, (laughs) while no might not be a complete sentence, the sentiment behind that idea of We don't need to apologize when we say no. We don't need to explain when we say no. And we will quickly be getting into my soapbox road rage moment because women in particular, people who identify as female, I feel apologize far too much, particularly when we end up apologizing for things over which we have no control. And when we do, even when we do have control, when we're doing something that's healthy for us to say, I'm sorry. And that, that we don't know could be the concept of no could be a complete thought it's like rather than a thought. complete sentence. It, it does not need anything further. That doesn't mean that you can't offer anything further, but letting go of what is this baggage that we feel like we have to explain everything or justify everything. Or, you know, I've heard Some people say, use the phrase, it's not on my schedule. And that doesn't mean that you, what's on your schedule might be some relaxation time for you. (laughs) You What's on your schedule might be a nap. Right. Nobody has to know that, but you don't have to explain everything. And that's what, that's the idea behind that. No is a complete sentence. Sure. Um, Yeah. In, in preparing for this episode, I was reading an article about that concept. No is a complete sentence. And it was so interesting to hear that, to, to read the idea salespeople and the way they're trained is the more explanation you like their goal is to, to take all of your no's and turn them into yeses. And so the more information you give them, the more fuel that they have to try and change your mind. They can poke holes in whatever you give them. Yeah. Yeah. So 
here's a fun little insight into our uh, Paula and Jill's relationship roadies. We were needing to buy a car. If you ever need to buy a car, Paula is your expert. <laughs> I your am woman. your woman. I love car buying. <laughs> she knows everything. And <laughs> in these COVID and pandemic days, she was like, all right, here's what you're going to do. And gave us all of these fascinating examples. And like, we got a great deal on a good car, which Yay. was awesome because we needed a car to get us from point A to point B. And, but any information you give beyond no is fuel for them to say, well, if, you know, it's not in my budget right now. Well, what is your budget? Well, it's not, uh, I don't have the time to do that right now. Well, when will you have time? And, and the constant, so even just as a practical piece, the more information you give someone who is trying to get your boundaries to disintegrate, the more fuel they have to then try and, and turn that into something. And so you don't owe them an explanation. Yeah. Here's the thing, roadies. If you're a roadie that has, has trouble setting boundaries, people who have trouble setting boundaries tend to forget that people who push boundaries don't operate from your set of rules. They don't respect your set of rules. You're operating from a place that I'll say no, and they'll respect that. People who push boundaries don't respect, you yes. know, you're operating from a place of surely they'll see that I've got too much to do and they won't push that. People who are pushing your boundaries don't care that you have too much to do. They just want to get it unload on you to add more. So we've got to quit operating from a place that other people are playing by the same rules you are when it comes to boundaries yeah. and realizing that it's a game you can't win. You can't play a game with someone who violates boundaries and win. You just have to set the boundaries and let them do whatever they're going to do on the other side of the boundary. Yeah. And sometimes they'll realize it and come around and you can have a really healthy relationship after right. setting that boundary. And sometimes they won't and you let that relationship go. And that's really sad, but sometimes that's good for you in the long run. Yeah. So to turn a roadblock into a U-turn rather than apologizing or offering explanations, I know this has been really helpful for me. So roadies, maybe instead of saying, I'm sorry, you can say, unfortunately, I can't make that commitment. Unfortunately, I'm not able to. So the sentiment of I'm sorry is there, but you're not taking responsibility, unfortunately. Or another great one is, thank you so much for the opportunity, but I cannot. But unfortunately, so there's the accept, you know, thank you for the opportunity or thank you for thinking of me for, thank you for thinking of me as a good person to teach Sunday school. Unfortunately, I'm not able to make that commitment right now. Yeah. Yeah, those are those are great phrasing, scripting kinds of things that if you are someone who has trouble saying it, to get a few of those phrases in your mind so that when you're caught, because people who push boundaries know the power of catching someone off mm -hmm. guard mm -hmm. and making them give an answer quickly, that, that deer in the headlights look. So you can also say, I need to check on a few things and I'll get back to you. If you're yes. someone who like saying no, just feels like a bridge too far in the beginning, you can say, let me check on that. And then you can, this is a little bit passive aggressive, but as you're learning, you can use email to say no, perhaps instead of hopefully sure. we'll build our way up to a conversation where you're able to say no and not get twisted and manipulated in that. But, you know, but just to provide enough 
of an impulse control mechanism so that that automatic yes that you're used to saying has a pause of let me check on that and I'll get back to you and gives you time to pep talk yourself into being able to say, nope, I really can't take that on right now. Yeah. And if you want to even add another step to it, giving yourself that time, if if saying no is just a bridge too far and you can't do that, perhaps there's a way that you can propose an alternate. So I'm so sorry. Uh, nope. See, look, I was just about to apologize. <laughs> it's really hard. It's very ingrained. It is in really ways. hard. So I'm not able to make that commitment at this time. Please ask me again in the fall or please ask me, you know, or I'm not able to commit to this Saturday, but what about this date? and offer an alternative that gives you the power and the control of being able to say, this is what I'm willing to offer. Yeah. And that person can take it or leave it. Yeah. And you have to communicate and communication Mm -hmm. can be really scary if it's not something you're used to doing. It can feel confrontational, but really communication is real is basically just not expecting someone to read your mind. Because we've been talking about people who push boundaries and we've been kind of demonizing them in this, but sometimes people really don't mean to, to do what you're doing. They really don't understand how much you have on them. They really don't want to be pushing your boundaries. They just may not understand. So don't expect people to read your mind. It's not fair for you to expect people to read your mind. I always say that communication breakdowns happen from mind reading from two different perspectives. The first is when you think you know what someone else is thinking without checking with them, because Mm -hmm. oftentimes we don't. But the second is expecting someone else to read your mind. And that can really create a lot of difficult feelings, hurt feelings, because you're inside your head, you know everything. And other people don't have access to your brain in that way. So communication is a huge, a huge U-turn, a huge communication. Because no one, no one is a mind reader except Jesus. Yeah. And if we bring the spiritual road back into it, the whole like, let me think about that or putting the pushing the pause button, you could even add, let me pray about that. Mm. And and I, I I shouldn't be saying that. I'm not making I'm not thinking sarcastically about prayer, but if someone is using spirituality in a manipulative way, they're not gonna they should not push you taking some time to pray about it. And then you can genuinely go pray about if this is something that you feel like you're supposed to be doing, but that might be just a way to hit that pause button a little bit more. Yeah, there is, we will dig around for it and put it in the show notes. There is a little bit of a tongue in cheek, uh, silly video of someone who said all of the ways to say no in church. And I've not seen that. I will have to pray about it is one of them. One of the ways <laughs> to just kind of push the decision down the road. So the video is intended to be a little tongue in cheek, funny kind of a thing, but it is kind of actually really helpful. Interesting. I can't wait to see that. Yeah. Um, you know, other U-turns since we jumped in there is realizing that when you first set a boundary, if you're not used to doing that is going to feel really uncomfortable mm. and people are not used to you doing it. So it's not as easy as setting a boundary one time and never having to do it again. You've got to do it over and over and over again until people really start to understand. But the cool thing is the first time you do it, it might feel hard and you're going to get that knot in your stomach and you're going to, but the more you do it, the easier it becomes. Um, 
And when you get really good at it, you then can applaud and reward people when you see them setting their boundaries and celebrate. So I try really hard with people at church when they say no to say, great, thank you so much for even taking the time to consider it and then move on so that they know that their boundary has been respected and that they know that that's a, that's a big deal. So fellow boundary setters out there, let's be the cheerleaders for people who are struggling to set them. Yes. Anytime you see someone set a boundary, applaud them for that. That helps that. And that just again, creates the conversation and normalizes it a little Mm -hmm. bit. And it takes that personalization out of it. You know, when, when someone says no to me, they can't have dinner with me. I need to respect that boundary rather. Well, it's COVID. We're not having dinner, but you know what I mean? It's (laughs) respecting that boundary versus feeling like it's something about me. So, you know, you can really just normalize affirming people setting boundaries, other U-turns, just keeping in mind, you know, I often think about like how, when God created us, God could have done anything he wanted to with how we work and how we function, but he made us have to go to sleep for a reason. (laughs) No, we have to sleep. Our bodies have to sleep, which says we're not supposed to be go, 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 do, do, do all the time. And so just, I think that was God's way of maybe enforcing some boundaries on us that we have to take some time to, to step away from it. Um, so we've got a built-in boundary. Yeah. And then further setting the example for us with the idea of Sabbath and how we orient our days and our weeks and our schedules. Yes, most definitely. And if we haven't said it enough already, communication, 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 communication. I think we've gone through all our road rages, maybe not all at one time, but I think we've set our road rages, some billboards where we see it. We talked about the boundaries book, you know, just what's happening in our world as we record this with COVID. I think boundaries have looked really interesting in the times of COVID. In some ways, they've made it easier for people to say, no, I can't do this. I've got got to stay home or we can't travel to see you on this holiday or, Mm -hmm. you know, but in some, but in some ways they've also really complicated things. And as things are starting to slowly open back up, whether you agree with that or not, people are now going to have to actually confront some relationships where they had a cover before. Yeah. Well, and, and there are some boundaries that have disappeared. So not everyone has a commute anymore. Mm. Uh, That makes that boundary between work and home much fuzzier. Yeah. 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 We have, I I think I've shared this on the, on the podcast before Um, my partner and I both work from home in these COVID days and are looking forward to the times when we are fully vaccinated and can, can work from home a little bit less, but we have assigned rooms in our house. So (laughs) there are two, he, uh, he, he has his work screen room and I, my work screen room is my dining room and our congregation has gotten very familiar with the inside of my dining room. Cause that's where I record all of my sermons <laughs> and worship leadership. And then we have a fun screen room and you're not allowed to do work in the fun screen room. Like that's where we watch TV watch love that. And things like that. And then we have a no screen room, like Ooh. no screens, no screens are allowed there. It's for puzzles. It's where we listen to our records. And like, those are boundaries, which if you had 
like pre-pandemic, if you had, if I had thought that there were going to be boundaries about what we can do in every room in the house, mm. but like it was a way because there used to be a boundary of what you can leave at the office, what mm-hmm. you can leave in a room. So yeah. there's a spatial boundary too. And that COVID has made an impact on that. Yeah. I love that y'all were that intentional with your boundaries and what to do with it. I kind of wish I had done that at the beginning of what room would be where, but <laughs> hindsight's always 2020. Sure. Um, yeah. You know, other billboards about where we've seen this in pop culture or where we've seen this in current events. I, I feel like I see this a lot because I will say it drives me crazy when I'm watching a TV show or a movie and someone's not setting boundaries. It is not an enjoyable episode for me. Like I think of an episode of friends where Ross had a really important function to go to and no one would get dressed or get ready. Everyone's running around doing all kinds of other stuff and not respecting that Ross needed to get them out the door. And it just, I was just like, just leave, just set a boundary and leave and go do your thing. It drives, it is one of my things that drives me crazy. I also thought of the movie. I'm sure many of you are too young to know this movie, but, um, called, what about Bob? Yes. <laughs> Bill Murray, Richard Dreyfus, mm-hmm. And he's a counselor that I think I actually saw this movie before, or, or he might be a psychiatrist. I think he's a counselor though. Um, Cause it's been a long time since I've seen this movie. I saw this movie, I think before I went into this profession and Bill Murray plays one of his clients or patients who invades his vacation or his home or something. It drove me crazy. I just, yeah. I did not enjoy that movie at all because I just was saying just set up boundary yeah yeah for real yeah I um I this might be in a different generation from some of our roadies but when I think about boundaries I think about the television show everybody loves Raymond Mm, with the in-laws across the street in-laws living across the street and like everybody just coming in all the time or like name your we'll go back even further was it three's company when the (laughs) person was always like coming in the door or Seinfeld when Kramer just like lets himself in all the time and like not having good boundaries about who goes where and who does what, you know, and more recently, you know, um, my husband and I just watched the movie, I think it was called Hillbilly Elegy about a family with addiction, struggling with addiction. And certainly we see a lot of what we call codependence and poor boundaries and people trying to overfunction for someone struggling with an addiction in families a lot. And so I remember my husband just talking about like, just go, I think it's a guy in law school and he's also trying to take care of his family where there's some addiction and, and just really going, just go take care of yourself. But, you know, when it's your family and when they're suffering and when you feel responsible for them or when the system has conditioned you that you have to be the responsible one because this other person in your family is not going to be responsible. That's really a hard, just that's a hard system to get out of. That's a hard system to break. So if you are someone who has a family member who is struggling with an addiction, I highly recommend Al-Anon. That is a group similar to Alcoholics Anonymous or Narcotics Anonymous that is a 12-step program for people who who love people with mm-hmm. um, an addiction. And so, and that can be a friend or a family member or a spouse or anything. So I highly recommend 
looking up at least those concepts, even if you don't go to a group. And with all 12-step programs, every group has kind of their different vibe. So if you go to one and it's not, doesn't seem like your place, just don't let that be discouraging that you can't find people who can help you set appropriate boundaries. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things I say in that situation, it, the term tough love is used a lot. And people, I think, think of tough love as like being mean, but it's actually, I think of it as it's love that's tough to do. It's tough for the person to love in this way, but it's still loving. It's still loving to set boundaries with someone. It's still loving to expect someone to experience the consequences of their actions. It's loving to, um, to not rescue someone over and over and over again and enable the system to stay broken. You know, that's that person that you mentioned earlier, someone who's a hired for a 20 hour week job and works 30 or 40 hours a week. That's enabling the system to stay broken. If we constantly prevent someone from experiencing the consequences of their actions, we're enabling the system to stay broken and we need to find a way to, to pull out of it and to, um, to not enable the system to stay quite as broken. Huge. That is huge. Yeah. Yeah. Rodies, if you have other billboards or, um, places where you've seen this, we would love to hear what y'all have to say. Polly, you ready to put it in park? What would you think? Final thoughts? Yeah, let's put it. I mean, I love this topic, so I could, I could go on a long summary because I think everything we've said is so important, but bottom line, I would just say wherever you are, as you listen to this episode, if you're one of those people who's had trouble putting boundaries in place, or if you're someone who tends to push boundaries, or if you're going to the other extreme and really being really rigid with your boundaries, just know this is hard. You know, relationships are messy and being in community with people's messy and there's no right or wrong way to do um, setting boundaries. I would say get the boundaries book will be a good guideline, but just to, to know that your time is valuable, you know, your experience, your feelings are valid, just as valuable, valid as someone else. And to, know that it's okay. It's okay to take care of yourself in whatever way it looks like. Um, So what's your park? You're putting it in park today, Jill. Self-control is a fruit of the spirit. Amen. 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 You know, self-control is a fruit of the spirit and God loves you, whether you're saying yes or no, or let me think about that, or let me pray about that or anything in between you're, you're loved by God and, and whatever your response is, whether it's a response to someone else, whether it's a response to the church or a response to God, whatever your response is, God's still going to love you. And there's nothing that you can do to change that. Nothing you can do to change that. Cool. So roadies, we, we've got an episode coming up in the not too distant future where we might do some leftovers from some other episodes, things that maybe were important in episodes that we didn't get to or forgot and looked back at our notes or just some follow-ups from questions you have. So if you have some thoughts on this episode on boundaries and stuff, um, please let us know. You can send us messages, lots of different ways you can Go to our website, which is sacredintersectionspodcast.com. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Sacred Intersections Podcast and follow us. If you did follow us, then you got the update that we were on spring break last week. If you didn't follow us, you may have wondered why we didn't show up in your podcast feed on Tuesday. So get in the know with Sacred Intersections Podcast. Um, We're on Twitter at Sacred Pod. What else do they need to know, Jill? We have said it before and we will say it again. 
We really like you. We do. And we're glad that you're here and we're grateful for the opportunity to be on this journey together. Yes. So you can send us messages anywhere you want to. And we may take a day or two to respond because we might set a boundary, but we will read them and be glad to hear from you. Amen. Amen. Have a good week and safe travels through all your sacred intersections throughout the week.